Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Super Lily podcast. This is the first of what I hope will become a series of conversations with people who play an important role in helping to support Lily's development. The aim is to make the interviews informative and interesting, but also to try to answer the types of questions that I and others as parents might find themselves asking. Today's general theme is early intervention, a topic I covered in a recent blog post and one about which I know today's guest is also very passionate. I am so happy to introduce my first ever podcast guest, Jessica Tui, who is a highly regarded pediatric physiotherapist in Hong Kong and also most of the time our daughter Lily's favorite person. Jess is the clinical director of SPOT, an interdisciplinary therapy center for children in Hong Kong. She's held this position for the last three years, but has been a physio with SPOT for seven and is regularly described as the best pediatric physio in town. Parents value not only her expertise, but also her fun, enthusiastic and child-centered approach. She trained in Adelaide, Australia, at the Women's and Children's Hospital, where she specialized in pediatrics and worked for five years before coming to Hong Kong. Jess's specialty is neurology, and she's an advocate of early intervention. Jess, welcome to the Super Lily podcast, and thank you for agreeing to be my first guinea pig. Thank you very much for having me. Could I start by asking you to tell us a little about yourself and why you decided to become a pediatric physiotherapist? Sure. Um, I want to say that I'm honoured to be your first guinea pig. I think that your <laughs> blog is great. I've been looking through it and it looks really good. Um, so a little bit about me. I have been in Hong Kong for seven years, so I just got my permanent residency. Um, I came here with my husband seven years ago and I have a son who is two years old. Uh, I'm from a small country town in Australia. Uh, I'm the oldest of three siblings. I have a really big extended family. So my dad's one of 12 children. Wow. Uh, I have around 30 first cousins. Uh, I think I always knew I wanted to be a physio. I think initially I thought I wanted to get into sports, which I think most physios do. Um, however, after my pediatric placements and also just growing up with children, it just seemed to be a logical progression for me. And I, I certainly couldn't imagine working with anything other than children now that I'm, I'm working with kids. Well, it's clear that you're a natural. I must say, I also, funnily enough, grew up in a small rural town with lots of siblings, but we never had any cousins. We had three cousins, so I'm very envious <laughs> of all of yours. So, Jess, could you briefly explain, you know, so obviously you work with children with a range of developmental delay and, and disabilities, and Lily's specific challenge in life is cerebral palsy. What early intervention for cerebral palsy is all about and what its goals are from a physio physio perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You're right. So I I work with a range of children with a range of diagnoses and difficulties. Um, But I guess um, early intervention itself is fairly self-explanatory in that it's um, getting intervention for your child based on their needs as early as possible. Um, I looked through your um, blog and, and you have some great articles there that you mentioned around neuroplasticity and taking advantage of early years to make the most of the ability for children to learn and adapt. Um, you, there was mention of presynaptic pruning and those sorts of things, which you know are, are very in-depth um, areas to look into. Um, but I guess that underpins the 
the reason for, for starting early um, with children. So um, in normal development, there's astonishing amount of growth and change that happens in the early years. And there's, um, this is no different for children with disabilities. Um, I always say to parents early on that babies' brains are developing a map of their bodies and that the way they learn about their body is by seeing it, by touching it, by using it, or by having someone else touch or facilitate. So the more we can expose children to their bodies and ways they can use their bodies in a functional way, the better their outcomes. Um, from a physio perspective, our goals vary from child to child, but essentially we're working towards as close to your child's normal development as possible. This may not be walking necessarily, uh, but could be crawling or sitting or rolling or just positioning to make daily cares easier. It's so interesting, Jess. You know, obviously Lily was my first child, so having seeing any child grow up is educational um, but it was fascinating for me to understand this idea that because her um, motor abilities and her limbs have been affected uh, she wasn't experiencing the kind of, kind of movements and uh, as you say exposure to her body and her surroundings that other babies uh, ordinarily would and I you know it was just such a and opening up for me about how incredible the human brain and body is and how yeah. it grows and develops yeah. and the things we can do to help um, little babies like Lily get this type of exposure and, and yeah. as we have done in the past year. I mean, in your opinion, does it make a difference at what age a child with developmental delay or CP starts to have early intervention? Um, I, I think so. I think generally, I mean, talking specifically about children with cerebral palsy, intervention does start early because in the NICU, if they're born prematurely, um, they do tend to um, have input. So whether that's um, monitoring of their muscle tone um, or whether that's um, talking to parents and also the nurses about positioning. So you might have noticed they did some nesting or things like that to try and encourage her to be in a more flexed position when she was little. Um, you know, all of that uh, early stuff is important. Um, but I think, you know, really early on the priorities for, for babies and children is food, nutrition and sleep. Um, so that's one thing um, I had previously worked in the NICU and, you know, we, we really tried not to intervene too much in the early days, but, but wanted to optimise their position or optimise their resting um, as much as possible. Um, so I think, you know, early intervention is key, but also parents put a lot of pressure on themselves to be all things from the start and, you know, give their children as much support as they can. Um, but really, you know, they're having a hard time because they've been born early out of an environment that's, you know, warm and supportive and, you know, they're, they, they need actually just that, that sort of mimic, that comfort mm. as opposed to, you know, how can we move them? How can we, yeah. you know, support them? Right. So I think early intervention is good and from birth is great, but we'd have a minimal impact, I guess, then. Well, not minimal impact, but minimal input, right. I should say. Um, and then I think um, after, after all of that has settled and, you know, maybe even once you get home, um, that's when we can have a, a, a bigger impact. So, you know, we can look at their positioning. Um, we can look at um, how you're playing with them. So we can encourage you to um, bring their hands to the midline. We can encourage you to make sure they're looking to both sides of their body. Um, you know, every child with cerebral palsy um, is different and they have different challenges, different levels of function. Um, so it might look different for everyone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we we move from this idea of, you know, having this really fragile baby that we need to support um, and, and, and take care of and protect 
to actually starting to challenge them um, and starting to think about, you know, how can we make things not difficult for them, but, but how do we build their skills and, and um, you know, continue to, to make their, or to support their growth, I guess, um, yeah. rather than just, you know, holding them and, and making sure they're safe. So I think, you know, once you're at home, we can definitely make a big difference. Um, and, you know, once they're more stable, I think, yeah. so that, that can look different for yeah. every child. Yeah, I think that's that's that that makes a lot of sense. Certainly, you know, obviously it was now a while ago, and you you come out of the NICU knowing so much more than you did going into it. But it might be worth pointing out that if you are in a NICU with a preemie baby, ask is there any physio input happening, um, or to know what it looks like. It may be happening without you being aware because they don't need to trouble you with it. As you say, at that early stage, yeah. parents are going through so much. Um, but you may not, uh, they may not be doing anything about it. That may be because they're focusing on your child's health, mm. you know, which is the priority. Yeah. But I certainly know that at some point we suddenly realized Lily was always lying on one side and we requested that they begin to move her a bit. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's so much you don't know and you obviously learn as you go, but it, it's, it's always good to ask questions about these things. Yeah. I have also had um, families come in to the clinic that have their babies in the hospital and we've just had a meeting to discuss and say, you know, this is what um, is happening in the in the hospital. Um, and I guess it depends on the hospital you're in. Some are more supportive than others. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it can be around their training as well. So, uh, you know, if you're not sure or you're, you're, I don't know, if you have a little feeling that something is not quite right, I think definitely follow your instinct and ask yeah. them. And if you feel like you're not getting the answer you want, ask someone else. I think that's absolutely right. I think yeah. um, never be afraid to ask. Yeah. You you might get shot down, but that's the very, you know, what's, why, why would, what, that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, so, you know, I think you've to some extent discussed some of it, but when you first meet a child, uh, you know, uh, what approach do you take and how do you engage with the parents to discuss what their child's needs are from a physio perspective? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess this really depends on the child, the family and the age and ability of the child. So I now work in private practice, so I, I rarely see children in that acute setting anymore. Yeah. Um, it's usually once they're medically stable. Um, so I guess my approach is to look at the child and their current abilities with an open mind. I like to be strength focused, um, but also look out for any abnormalities in movement patterns or muscle tone. Um, and I then like to discuss that with parents and explain that I'm looking for abnormalities and what I would expect at their developmental, either actual or adjusted age um, versus what we're seeing. Um, but, but I'll never assume inability. So, you know, some children's birth histories are significant. You know, they have had a really rough time early on, whether it's, um, you know, a lack of oxygen at birth or brain bleeds or what have you. And, you know, if you read just their report, you could assume that actually they're not going to have a lot of function. But I think the important thing is to, you know, read and have that information, but also just look at the child and, and aim for the best. Um, so I think um, early days, particularly for families of babies born prematurely, I do a lot of listening in our sessions. Um, I think parents get so many opinions about so many aspects of their baby's lives and predictions of their outcomes. Um, and I, I like to give some perspective, I guess, and help parents to see the positives by highlighting not just weaknesses, but strengths um, and small changes. Because I think it's, it's difficult with, with all children, it's difficult to see progress. But when you are living 
that and you know 24 7 worrying about this child and you, you know what what other children are doing it's hard to see the small wins but you know if you then look back and you think oh you know three months ago what what was she doing or what was he doing and you think actually they've made some really great progress you know they're not they're not typically developing but um have made some great great gains so i think you know part of my early role um is really you know just encouraging that optimism as well and i think i just love that about you and i've you know we found that so encouraging because understandably as you say when children have had a very stormy start that's how they describe Lily's start and it was stormy Mm -hmm. she did have lack of oxygen and she did have brain bleeds and if you just read the reports you probably didn't think that she had a great outlook Mm. Um, and certainly unfortunately a couple of the doctors we spoke to in the early days gave us very dire outlooks Mm which just made us feel sick to our stomach. And now, of course, they might have been doing that because they didn't know any better or didn't know any better. They obviously couldn't foretell what her future would be. But it really helps to have some sense of the positives. And yes, that doesn't mean, well, look, your child will walk, we'll get there in five years' time. But as you say, small things. Look at her. She's, you know, she's reaching up. She wasn't doing that last week. And these are these really are encouraging things. You know, as a parent, I don't know where this expression comes from, but I stopped reading baby books. Mm. And somewhere I read about uh, little babies like Lily reaching inch stones instead of milestones. And it's so encouraging. And we just yeah. think she's the cleverest little thing. So over time, you know, you, so you mentioned in the beginning, you help maybe with positioning, mm-hmm. um, being you know creating awareness of her body move different movements that she may not be um, experiencing because of her cp but it's evolved over time and maybe you can talk a little bit about that you know we sort of began to work on transitions so from lying to sitting or sitting to kneeling or uh, learning to roll um, all of it helping her to plan how to coordinate her movements and create sequences that she's now even though she's still quite perfect she's still slowly beginning to put together um could you maybe talk a bit more about this approach and why you do it from a neurological perspective i guess okay um i think i personally have a very functional or developmental approach so i know what typical development looks like um and i try to support every child along this trajectory as best they are able so um for example Typical developing babies born at term start in a very flexed position. They be- sorry, Jess. Can you cl- clarify what flexed? What uh, do you mean sorry, by flexed? Sorry, yes. So um, in the womb, your your baby is in a, a fetal position or like curled up. I guess you know they have their arms and their legs um, in in by their chest. Um, I'm doing the action, but you can't see. So um, <laughs> it's yeah. So that they're essentially in a, an advantageous position to be able to find their arms and legs. Um, versus babies that are born early um, or with lower muscle tone or are more floppy, they tend to have their arms and legs sort of out by their sides um, and particularly with monitors and and leads and things, it's difficult for them to then have the same exposure to their body parts. Um, And like I was saying earlier, you know, they're developing this map about where their bits are. And so they've spent all of their life with their arms out by their sides and their legs out by their sides, only looking in one direction. It's difficult for them to have the same exposure and therefore development. Um, 
so so yeah so we they start in a flex position um they start to develop some midline control hands together hands to their mouths um they start to develop some head control um they might start to reach for toys learn to roll develop their upper body strength on their tummies so that's kind of a, a typical trajectory um so then i will look at where a child is um within that tra- trajectory so it could be that i see them really really early on and they're just lying on their backs on on a on a bed or on the floor um they haven't really worked out that they even have arms or legs so you know they're sort of out by their sides um so in that case it's very much about you know supporting them and encouraging play and positioning to expose them to their body parts um and then you know once they've got that and you know not all children do but but often they do and it takes time um you know you then move on to the next thing so you think okay they've got that you know we should try and do a little bit more tummy time and and expose them to being in different positions for their head control or um build up their upper body strength mm. that sort of thing um and you know as much as possible we try and make it functional so not just placing a child in that position but okay well if they were typically developing how would they get there they might roll so rather than just placing them on their tummy why don't we teach them how they might roll to their side yeah. you know using toys to get their attention helping them but also helping them the least amount that you can yeah. to try and get them to do as much as they can right um you know i guess that's quite specific for very early development but it it, it applies all the way along i think you know just meeting them at where they're at mm. um and seeing what what they like and their interests mm. and then trying to adapt that and and look at what is the next step for them yeah. and you know how can i support that what what difficulties are they having in the next step is it strength is it coordination is it a, a neurological tone issue mm. you know that mm. their their bodies are so rigid it's hard for them to reach you know what what ways can i support them in um reaching that next step mm. so this is a tricky one we've talked about it a lot is how much physio does a child need and you know practice makes perfect as you've often said if you think about any of us um training for anything the more you do it the better you get at it mm. but you know for most families very regular or any private therapy can be really expensive um and often public services may be available but only offered a couple of times a month if you're lucky now what can parents do at home to help their children work on what they're learning in their therapy sessions so that they get the best value out of it? Yeah. I think, you know, in an ideal world, um, you know, children would be able to have therapy daily. They'd be able to have it in the morning for a couple of hours, they'd be able to have it in the afternoon for a couple of hours or, you know, whatever they could tolerate um from an endurance perspective. Yeah. And you know, we're not just talking about physio because there's speech, there's OT, there's, you know, other therapies as well. So, um, you know, it, it's difficult to yeah to be able to achieve the optimum amount of therapy because it is prohibitively expensive mm. it's difficult um so i think there's a few things that you can do um to to make the most of the therapy sessions you're having um so i think you know make the most of the time you have with your therapist so whether it's public or private um you know writing down or videoing or taking photos of what's happening in the session um particularly early on you know th- there's a few pieces of equipment they have but actually you can often put things together with what you have at home or or buy quite cheaply to be able to support children in different positions um so you know make as many notes as you can as you're going through the sessions um ask for programs or activity recommendations for home you know write things down that that are in the sessions but also say you know how can i work on this at home or you know how would you recommend we do this at home um and then you know do it i think um you know 
all parents and I mean you guys are brilliant at, at practicing the things at home with Lily um, and you know it makes a big difference because you know even even coming once a week is not enough because you need to do it every day so you know make sure that you are doing it at home and you know as as a primary caregiver I think you, you carry a lot of the burden of everything you know of sleep of feeding of therapy of everything um, so you know it, trying to incorporate as many people that that support your child you don't have to do all things at one time you know you don't have to think oh okay we're working on sitting rolling head control transitions yeah i've got 30 minutes let's do these yeah. things you know yeah. that you won't have a good experience because no. you know your child will get upset that they're being rushed through yes. things they don't understand so you know just pick a couple of things yeah. and try and work on them in the morning and then a couple more things yeah. in the afternoon no i think that's very wise and certainly lily gets very cross with me when i'm like i am a bit like that we've got to do this and this and this she's like no but i'm playing with that toy mommy leave me alone <laughs> so you do have to just uh also understand their their um the tolerance you know she's a little baby still effectively she's yeah. 21 months old and she works really hard but maybe 40 minutes is enough mm. and then then just relax I think that is important to have breaks in between and maybe that leads quite well into my, my next question which is about sensory integration um, and what it is and, and how it fits into the picture it was founded by somebody um, named Jean Ayres, who's an occupational therapist, psychologist and neuroscientist. Um, she has a, an approach called um, Ayres Sensory Integration, and that's what you can become certified in. Um, originally, it was for children with learning and behavioural challenges, and then children with autism. But then it has sort of progressed and been broadly you know, um, applied for children that have physical disabilities. Um, and essentially it's looking at how we integrate our senses. So touch, taste, vision, hearing, smell. And then I guess the, the lesser known um, senses of vestibular, your vestibular system or movement, your movement sense, um, your proprioception um, system, which is your body position sense. Um, and also interoception, which is your internal sensation. So, you know, feelings of hunger, feelings of pain, feelings of needing to use the bathroom, those sorts of things. Um, I think for me, the, the really predominant things that I look at are the vestibular or movement sense and the proprioception or body position. Um, it's sort of atypical, I guess, for physios to do this training. Um, I was encouraged by my um, previous employer um, to, to do this training. And when I did, I was um, one of two physios in a class of around 30 occupational therapists, um, which I find mind-blowing because actually... Now that I've done it, it really makes a whole lot of sense that, you know, our, our sensory systems underpin all of our movement, you know, typical or atypical, um, you know, we, we become, um, you know, we have things that help us be regulated or dysregulated, you know, you know, if you're driving in a car and, you know, the person in the passenger seat turns the music up and you're trying to concentrate in directions that, that you get a bit frazzled and like, oh, can you turn that down? So, you know, or just simple things like that are... Um, you know the same for children you know if we're trying to get them to concentrate on a task but you know we're saying okay okay yeah go 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 and you know we're really giving them too much input yeah that cannot be regulating for them um, and similarly you know if we're trying to get them to move and they really don't know where their body is in space you know it's important to take a moment to give them some f feedback and and help them to know okay well here's here's my arms here's my legs we're using these we'll do some deep pressure or yeah. um you know we'll, we'll do some heavy work to try and encourage that um so i think it, yeah it's a really important piece of the puzzle 
So if I may, Jess, uh, one more question before we close off. Um, what are some of the most asked questions you get from parents and how do you respond to them? Um, I think it's a tricky question. I, I get a range of questions because um, every family's journey is different and I meet children with varying challenges at different stages along their journeys. Um, I guess the couple that I get the most are, you know, will my child ever walk, talk, crawl, that sort of thing. Um, and I guess my answer to these questions is always that I wish I could answer with 100% certainty, but uh, in all honesty, nobody can. Um, and I think that's just important to remember because some people try to give you that answer. They, they tell you, no, they will never do this or no, they will never do that. And, you know, sometimes they might be right, but, but also, you know, why not, why not aim for the best? You know, let, let's not rule things out yet. You know, we're still seeing what development is going to happen so you know that's that's important um you know and i will always focus treatment on their current level of function and, and working towards the best possible outcome um i think another question i get is how long will my child need therapy or how much is the right amount we discussed before um which again is a tricky question because all children are different um i think in general children with complex needs um, or, or many challenges will will likely need therapy through their childhood and even into adulthood. But you know the frequency can really change, and you know play and downtime is also important. So you know interspersing bursts of therapy with with you know some time to consolidate skills also works. Um, and you know growth spurts and things like that will often mean that you need to be working on certain things and then there might be a time when you know you can have a break or you know come less often or that sort of thing so you know there isn't I guess one one rule for all but um you know we, we definitely work towards individualizing that and seeing you know what, what do they need and when can we have breaks because that's important yeah too. no I think that that makes a lot of sense well thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me um you know i've learned so much from you over the last 16 months or so and it's been really great to be able to discuss some of that here today um as i mentioned in my introduction jace is the clinical director here at spot um, an interdisciplinary therapy center which has three locations in hong kong they've recently opened a fantastic new clinic in central hong kong and I really want to wish you all the very best with this new phase. I think it's very exciting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Alrighty. Thank you very much. And uh, please stay tuned. Hopefully we will have um, another episode sometime in the not too far away future.